name three fallout boy songs that don't exist that don't exist yes like i'm making them up yes but it has to sound like it yes just the song titles molasses we're going up fighting (laughs) um no thank you for the short-term memory loss these are too close to the originals you gotta come up with original song titles fine 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 i should know how to do this i was in the scene after all. yes because it is my question i have mine pre-prepared i brought a cat to a knife fight that's good um hey man can you hold my lightsaber <laughs> and this guitar only goes wang. <laughs> i would listen to all of those <laughs> because it's mine i have mine pre-made because i've been thinking about this for Bullshit. three days uh, we have practice makes perfect parentheses except with me and you. Yes, <laughs> yes. The par- the minute you said the parentheses, it was on brand. Yes. Uh, everything I own is covered in dog hair because I have bad taste in men. <laughs> <laughs> and forgiveness isn't really that hard. I just don't like you. Yes, yes. To all, I'm about to write all those songs. <laughs> Please you, do. You did let me borrow your electric guitar. Yes. So. You you may write the songs with um. Yes, I am getting the power chords ready (laughs) in my head. The guitar tabs off guitarworld.com are going through my head right now. You only need like four, so you should be good. I got it. Uh, That was going around TikTok last week, and I was like, that's that's the opening of of this episode. So uh, on that note, I'm Leah. And I'm Bethann. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haul you, let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. We can't go, na na na. I know. But we can go, Anyway, uh, we realized that in uh, 40-something episodes, we've never once welcomed new listeners. So <laughs> Kind of an issue since we've experienced exponential growth lately. W- welcome new listeners. If you're new here, we do these uh, like main episodes, we call them, twice a month. We, we do them every other week, which I guess sometimes that makes it three times a month, but every other week. And then we fill in the between spaces with other stuff, like artist interviews crossovers with other people mm-hmm. um go back and look through the feed and you'll see a plethora of content to work through as you catch up um and if you are new we'd like it if you left us a google review yes and i'm gonna read some of those now that we've gotten recently um we have a very large document now so we're going to start with the first one on the list from zoo hair to go an amazing pair of talented, knowledgeable and funny women to have in your ears, along with some of the best rock and roll songs in history. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Doll. I like that one. I like that one. And I like this one for the username. This is from cowardly pickle. Yes. Oh, you bastard. I was going to take that one next time. Oh, sorry. It's, oh, that's it's right. You can have it. Here. You can have it. Uh, these two do such in-depth research on music that I grew up with, but never knew the whole story. And I love hearing their perspectives. Thank you, Cowardly Pickle. Cowardly Pickle. We we kind of died over your username when that review came through. So thank you. Or may I call you Anxious Dill? Anxious Dill. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fallout boy. Uh, <laughs> is still in my brain. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of Courage the Cowardly Pickle, but... Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Um... If you like the show, please leave us a review because we do read every single one that comes in and we do. screenshot them. And I send we them, have a big ego complex. I send them to Beth Ann <laughs> when I see them because I check every morning for new reviews. <laughs> so if you like the show, let us know. Okay. So I'm excited to cover this one because I've wanted to do another Motown artist for a while now. And in my mind, when I think of Motown, this is one of the names that just always shows up. And we're talking about Marvin Gaye. Now, 
I promise you, viewers, that I would choose a happy one. <laughs> After I did Amy Winehouse and gave it the Oscar sad treatment, I tried, okay? It was sad times around here last month. It really was. But truly, I tried. But I can't help that my chemical romance has conditioned me to gravitate towards sadder slash deeper stories. But still, this is a great story. And I feel like it's different territory as well from like a songwriting style than we normally cover. We'll talk more about that in a second. I'm also going to put trigger warnings on it. Um, we're talking like a bit about abuse, death, suicide. So if those are triggers for you. Might not be the best episode for you. This may not be the right podcast for you. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Because that's usually <laughs> comes with the territory of rock and roll. At least every other episode has one of those things. Yeah, true. I'm also going to be skipping over like a few albums and not going super in depth with it. And the reason why, well, one, this is a long career, but two, I'm going to apologize in advance in a moment of transparency because I feel like this was not my most thorough presentation, which I really do try to do, but the kind of you know, the backstory is I was going to be moving two hours away and I was working on those plans while trying to do this episode, which if you've ever moved, it's pure chaos, like truly pure chaos. You cannot plan for it. But those plans have fallen through, which caused a lot of emotions. So it's been a very emotional month for me. So I apologize because that kind of unfortunately caused a lot of not being able to do as thorough as I like to do, especially because this is such an important artist. So it kind of bums me out, but life sometimes gets in the way of our intentions. I don't know what to tell you, but now you're stuck here. So it's fine. Yeah. But anyway, this is without also, further ado. Disclaimer. If Beth Ann does move, we will not stop the podcast. Yes. Cause Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> Cause I was going to put that in my, I had my Instagram post written out, but I had to tell a friend on, <laughs> So literally, this is actually a life-saving moment because I was going to tell our friend Lauren on Thursday. She had something come up, so it got moved to Monday. And then on Friday, that's when we found out we were not going to move through some unfortunate circumstances. So then on Monday, I went to go get lunch with her. And I'm like, I was going to tell you I'm moving, but now that's not happening. And if I, the reason I was holding out from saying anything on social media is because I wanted to tell her first. Because she's not on social media. Yeah. And she's one of our really close friends, both for Leah and I. Excuse me. And I wanted to make sure that she knew before anyone knew. So it actually worked out. That's why you have not seen a post. Yes. <laughs> or anything. But yes, even if I move in the future, this podcast is still going. Me and Leah bought newer mics so that if we're separate for interviews, we'll be able to keep going. And I'm not going to be moving no more than two hours out of the city. Yeah. No matter what. So it's all good. Anyway, without further ado, this is Marvin Gaye. Let's well, Marvin Gaye and get it on. <laughs> you are not allowed to have that good of a joke at the beginning of, my, of this episode. I was really expecting you to make that your transition into this ah, content. So see, see, this is I didn't get to think of that. That's not fair. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate. <laughs> I always appreciate a good pun. So Marvin Pence Gay Jr. was born on April 2nd, 1939 in Washington, D.C. His dad was a pastor and his mom was a domestic worker. I want to talk about his parents. Normally, I don't talk too much about them in our episodes, but we really need to understand some background for this one. Sorry, my eye is like, my eyeliner has been on for too long today. It's itching like hell. Anyway personal problems um so let's start with his mom alberta gay was was by all accounts a very sweet and wonderful person she originally came from rocky Mount, north carolina but didn't have the best family conditions being that her dad like always abused her mom and things like that when she was 20 she had a son named michael with some dude that wiki was not very conclusive on his identity so i'm assuming he's not important <laughs> um, her mom sent her to live in D.C. with a relative. There she met Marvin Gaye Sr., who was just going by Marvin Gaye at that moment, and the two got married. I'm going to pause here and hop over to his dad. So Marvin Gaye, 
senior, but not senior at the moment, was raised in Lexington, Kentucky, and also came from an abusive household. When he was a child, his mom and him joined the Pentecostal sect. And um, when he was a teenager, he moved over to D.C. to become a minister. Back to Alberta. So when the, they are first, um, scratch out, when they bought their first house in D.C., Marvin Gaye Sr. believed it wasn't right for him to raise another man's child. So he sent Michael to live with his aunt slash Alberta's sister. So literally, Michael never knew Alberta was his real mom until he became a teenager. That's shitty. Yeah, it is shitty. Oh, just wait. The ship piles oh, is going to keep strolling. Don't, don't you worry about that. So Marvin and Alberta had four kids together. Uh, Jeannie or Jean, I'm not sure. I'm sorry. Uh, Marvin, Frankie, and Zeola. Side note, Marvin Gaye Sr. also fathered another child during an affair, yet Alberta didn't leave him for that. I don't understand. Notice how he also did not father or raise that child with his children. (laughs) Yeah, there's a trend here. Um, But let's start talking about Marvin Gaye Jr. There was some tension, which is quite an understatement. There was a hell of a lot of tension and abuse from his father. This guy is just as bad, if not worse, than Bill Cosby. Or uh, Bing Crosby. Uh, Start that over. (laughs) I mean, Bill Cosby is also a (laughs) shitty human, but... (laughs) Start. (laughs) This guy is just about as bad, if not worse, than our Bing Crosby episode. He would beat his kids if they got a Bible passage wrong. Or for bedwetting, which as we have now learned, bedwetting is a psychological condition or can be, not always, mm-hmm. but can be a psychological condition. Probably from the abuse. From the abuse. No, exactly. Like this was just not a healthy household at all. His mom confided in a friend once that he didn't believe Marvin Gaye Sr. loved Marvin. And he tried to like add some separation between Marvin Jr. and her which is also shitty. However, him and his mom did develop this really special connection. And Marvin's had said if he, if his mom like wasn't there encouraging him, he would have likely like committed suicide at a young age. So Marvin Gaye Jr. started his musical career by singing in churches when he was four years old. He was encouraged to keep singing throughout his school years. And it was something he really developed a passion for. When he got to high school, he joined a doo-wop group for a little bit, but he dropped out of high school at age 17, joined the Air Force, but was discharged like shortly after with like a general discharge. I think the story goes, he like faked a mental illness or something like that, which is, you know, cool. I'd probably do the same thing, but uh, <laughs> I relate Wait, to this as a this creative. Was this Vietnam or was this earlier? This was like... It's it's early, so it's 1950s. So it's, I would have faked it for Vietnam. Yeah, <laughs> easily. Um, when he came back, uh, Marvin Gaye met up with an old friend of his, and they decided to form a singing quartet called the Marquis. They did pretty well from themselves, and they caught the attention of Bo Diddley, who's a pretty well known like singer songwriter mm-hmm. producer. He's worked with like Buddy Holly in, in that sphere. Um, he helped them make some connections to get them on a label connected with Columbia called okay records spell o-k-e-h like it's not a good name for a record company it's an okay name it's an okay name it's all right it's okay (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that was funnier than it should have been so the marquees however didn't last too long they put out a single it didn't chart and okay said you're not okay (laughs) and booted them um however this experience led to Marvin learning to compose music, which is kind of cool. We'll talk a little bit about that way later on. But as the Marquis are, you know, licking their wounds after being dropped from a label, a man by the name of Harvey Fuqua, co-founder of Moonglows, who is also one of his, like, childhood inspirations, hires them and changes the name to Harvey and the New Moonglow. The group then relocate to Chicago, where they also worked as session singers for Chuck Berry, which is pretty cool. However, in 1960, 
they disband. And Marvin Gaye heads to Detroit to find work as a session musician. Now, it's 1960s in Detroit. What important record label slash person is in that place during that time? Uh, Motown Records. Correct. Mr. Barry Gordon of Motown Records. Uh, Marvin Gaye had the opportunity to perform at his house during the holidays, which is very fortunate for him. Barry hears him, loves him, and reaches out to Fuqua, um, who uh, still had his like Marvin Gaye's contract for some reason, and asks if he could sell part of his contract. He agrees, and Marvin signs to Motown's label, Tamla. So, as Marvin is preparing to release his new solo single, he makes what looks like a small change, but has a lot bigger implications. He adds an E to the end of his last name. So it reads G-A-Y-E. He got the idea for Sam Cooke, who did the same thing. C-O-O-K-E. So why is this big? Well, because the 1960s have no calm, nor is it time for the hippies to arrive on their tie-dye love bus. No one could handle the idea of a last name spelt G-Y-A because rumors would spread. You mean G-A-Y? What'd I say? G-Y-A. G-Y-A. <laughs> Gaia. No one can handle Gaia. <laughs> I swear to you, I did not put a lot of vodka in, the, in these cocktails I made. But I'm going to take a real quick sip. They are really good, though. Mm-hmm. They're my specialty. My specialty drink. Second, this is the bigger implication in my book. He wanted to add separation between him and his father. That's fair. I can't blame him at all. And so in 1961, he releases his first single, Let Your Conscience Be Your Guide. Very Jiminy Cricket of him. It is. And it does okay regionally, but like not nationally. The same goes for the album, The Soulful Moods of Marvin Gaye. At this point of this album, he is trying to just find his identity in music because he because he's like singing more smoother and things like that, he's more like gravitated to her like big band jazz style. But R&B is what's emerging as the sound. And it's something he was really reluctant to sing. And him and Barry uh, Gordy, and this is going to be a constant theme throughout. They're just always having disagreements. And this was one of their first ones. They, they're trying to find the direction his music sh- should go while other artists like the Marvelettes are finding success in pop, he just wants to stay in jazz. However, he would eventually be persuaded to R&B. So while that album is failing to chart, he's working as a session drummer making $5 a week. But a week? A week. I think that's like 40 bucks with inflation, if I remember correctly. That's still not a lot of money. No, it's not. But his moment is coming. Because in 1962, he has his first hit, Stubborn, Stubborn Kind of Fellow, which reaches number eight on the R&B charts, which is a good thing he listened. His next two singles also become hits, such as Hitchhike and Pride and Joy. These three led to the release of his second album, That Stubborn Kind of Fellow, in December of 1962. Also important to note, in like 1963, Marvin Gaye marries Anna Gordy, the sister of Barry Gordy. Interesting. Yes, very interesting. So not only are they going to have disagreements, they're going to be brother-in-laws. <laughs> that sounds like a conflict of interest. Yeah, a, but little, okay. a little bit. Uh, but this album it doesn't chart, but it's definitely opening doors. And it's opening the doors to the wonderful world of duets. Ah, so these next couple of years is just like duets galore. And they're charting more on the pop charts. So he records a duet album with Mary Wells in 1964 called Together. And I have to talk about the album artwork because it's a little intense. Like it doesn't need to be this intense <laughs> because it's Marvin and Mary resting on each other's foreheads looking at each other. It doesn't make sense to me. Why? It doesn't. Ma- I don't know. I mean, I'm being too judgmental, but that's the Taurus to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, also because record labels have no chill, he released another two albums that year, a jazz slash emo beta album called When I'm Alone, I Cry. 
you know add that to the fallout list when i'm alone i cry parentheses but i'm not with you (laughs) and a collection of broadway songs called hello broadway he did a single with kim weston called it takes two then he sang with tammy terrell and these are the marvin duets i'm most familiar with because that's where we get ain't no mountain high enough ah. yeah that's the duet now random question is there a movie associated in your mind with that song because no. i have one because the first time i think i ever really like, really heard it was on american idol in like 2006 oh damn for me it's remember the titans because that's the only sports movie i like <laughs> <laughs> and that's in there but also included in this list is your precious love Ain't nothing like the real thing. You're all I need to get by. So Tammy and Marvin, they become really close friends. And like, and I think like that's his most like famous duet partner too, which makes this next section really sad. In 1967, while they were performing at Hampton Sydney College in Farmville. Wow. Because that's her alma mater, which is really cool. She collapsed on stage in Marvin's arm and they went to the doctor and they said, you know, it's just over exhaustion. It's fine. But later at the end of the year, she was diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor, Ooh. which ended her live career immediately. Like yeah. she still sang on some albums, but she like never performed live again. And it was just, it really devastated him to see her go through this and she had like eight procedures just trying to remove it but while this is happening marvin goes back into the studio to record his eighth studio album in the groove which later would be renamed i heard it through the grapevine Ah. after it became a commercial hit so a little music history about this album so if you remember marvin has always had opinions about the direction of his music career Every artist does. It's fine. The problem was it's at the expense of Barry Gordy, a.k.a. bro-in-law. <laughs> and <laughs> record producers tend not to like that. However, we start to see in shift in how Marvin is singing his songs, too. Like, his voice is getting, like, more girth to it. So he's kind of... Gravi- he still has a smooth voice. But it's not that smooth, like, clean jazz voice. It's like a smooth, like, girthy voice. I don't know how to describe it. It sounds like an oxymoron, but... If you heard it, you would know. Um, also, the songwriters on this album were kind enough to write the album to quote Wiki, matches chaotic life. <laughs> Very convenient. At this time, his marriage to Anna Gordy was not doing the best. They're just continually on the rocks is from what it sounds like. He's still very upset about his friend's diagnosis. He's having disagreements with Barry and he's just kind of losing his flair for performing. So in hindsight, that's what makes this album work. Anger. Uh, The big hit from the album is I Heard It Through the Grapevine, originally recorded by Gladys Knight and the Pips just a year prior. So something I don't quite understand about this time period is artists like, let me restate, record labels are having their artists record the same song Mm -hmm. right after the other. Yeah, I, this came up in one of the TikToks I made a couple of weeks ago. Like, if someone didn't hit it big after, like, six months with a single, they'd be like, okay, it's your turn now. Yeah, Go. it's interesting because, like, the Miracles also recorded this song during that same time frame. Like, we see a lot of, like, YouTube covers these days, like, shortly after a song drops. But, like, when a record label does it, that makes sense. It seems also, like, that would never fly today because it'd be... no you're copying that song or you don't own that song and i feel like there'd be a, even if the record label it's still on the same record label like the label would have to own the song or they'd have to the first person would have to get permission i don't know how that would work legal like yeah. legal wise well i mean it's almost like a disney ip thing you got to cash in and yeah keep the property I, i'm i know songs don't work with intellectual property as yeah. much but still like that's what it always seemed like to me it's like they're just looking to cash in yeah they just gave like 10 people the shot to make it big with that song. And whoever did, did. Yeah, that's interesting. So there were some disagreements with Barry Gordy on the, that particular song. The first version of the song that um, Marvin sang, he hated and refused to release. 
They went back into the studio and instead gave it to Gladys Knight. Became a huge hit. Uh, but the songwriter Norman Whitfield, he still wanted Marvin Gaye's version. So he finally got it on this album and the song blew up. And it blew up with uh, Gladys Knight too. But it blew up again. So the song's super successful. It is considered his big hit according to Motown.com. It was number one on the Hot 100, number one in the UK charts, and shot up to number two on the R&B charts. I'm going to fast forward here a little to 1970. Marvin Gaye has released two other records, MPG, which is his initials, and that's the way love is. But this is the year I would say changes Marvin Gaye's career. Near the beginning of that year in March, Tammy Terrell, his close friend, passes away from cancer at only the age of 24. Wow. Yeah. He spoke at her funeral and was like the only person from Motown that his uh, that her mom allowed because of how close of friends they were. Aww. And while he was speaking at the funeral in the background was playing Your Love Is All I Need to Get By. The song, the duet they did together. That's so sweet. It is really sweet. But this just led to like a state of depression for him and drug abuse and seeking out a role in the Detroit Lions football team. Okay. Which he was not awarded because they saw him as a liability. Because <laughs> Barry Gordy would have their ass if anything happened to Marvin. Also fair. But he arrived to, um, like, around the same time, like, right before, also before she passed, he almost, like, committed suicide, but was stopped by Barry Gordy's father. I don't know any other details besides that. Hmm. Like, he almost did. Because he was like, just everything was just going to shit and Barry Gordy's yeah. father stepped in, which is good. So in June, he heads back to Motown headquarters to sing. I'm sorry. In June, he heads back to Motown headquarters to record the song, What's Going On? An incredibly powerful song with quite the story behind it. So it starts with Ronaldo Obi Benson of the Four Tops, which I had the privilege of seeing the Four Tops uh, right before the pandemic, like in February. It was the Four Tops and oh, yeah, the I Temptations. Remember this now. Yeah, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show because like so. the pandemic happened. But basically, like they were playing in Roanoke and only like one member of the original, of each of the originals are still alive. But like the Four Tops, like, it was so weird because we were just talking about COVID and the temptations were like, we usually shake hands, but we're only going to do fist bumps because we're a little bit worried about how COVID's going to turn out before it actually blew up into a thing. <laughs> surprise, surprise. And then like a m former member of the temptations died from it too, which was kind of weird. That's crazy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was really cute. Like the last remaining member of the four tops, he's like, he's got to be in his nineties. Eight, late 80s 90s like he but he's so like sweet on stage he loves doing it i love that like, i love that he's still he, performing. he still like dances a little bit but then he'll have to grab a chair and oh. sit for a little bit but i'm just like i love it just sit sit the whole time like just sit there and vibe it's so sweet whereas the temptations like i was like a little bit depressed by how well they could move at their age like like i could not make the moves that they made <laughs> they've been doing it all their lives it's incredible but incredible show i love seeing it but anyway so ronaldo obi benson of the four tops um when they were on tour he witnessed a police brutality slash anti-war event called bloody thursday which don't you just love events in america not too long ago that mimic the name of authoritarian catastrophe catastrophic events like bloody sunday of russia in 1905 sounds right but anyway <laughs> he, he's pretty upset watching the police and at first starts talking amongst his friends and then one of them encourages to write about his feelings he comes up with an entitled song and brings it to his group the four tops first but they turn it down because it's a protest song and they don't really do protest songs they're in not the four a protest tops. band they sing about filling you up buttercup um but he eventually finds his way to marvin gay where marvin starts going to work on it changing up the melody a little bit glossing up the lyrics 
giving it a title. Um, he also added elements um, from his own family's experience because his brother and his cousin went to Vietnam and his cousin didn't survive Vietnam either. But Benson uh, would say about the experience of riding with Marvin, he said, quote, we measured him for the suit and he tailored the hell out of it. That's a good quote. It is a great quote. Uh, but Marvin then rings his BFF brother-in-law, Barry Gordy, who was on vacation at the time and said, I'm recording a protest song. <laughs> and Barry says, don't be ridiculous. He does it anyway. Yeah, I figured. And this also was, I believe, like the first time he took recording into his own hands. Referencing back to when he just learned composing back when he was with the Moonglows. So it finally came in handy and he became a producer. He gathers the Motown session musicians to record and they just um, all stay laid back as they're recording, smoking weed, trying out different sounds and solos. That's how you make a great album. It's true. And I'm considering this was the case because Barry Gordy was in the Bahamas getting sunned up. So like when mom and dad aren't home, that's that's right. Real fun happens. That's when the real fun happens. So when the song is cut, Marvin brings it to Barry and Barry calls it the worst thing he's ever heard because it's too political and he refuses to release it. Once again, a trend refusing to release it, which Marvin then refuses to record ever again for Motown. Now keep in mind, Marvin is considered at least retrospectively the prince of Motown. Yeah. So this is a pretty damn big threat. How is it eventually released? Well, the vice president of Motown just agreed to release it without Gordy's consent. And they released the song in January of 1971. It turned out to be the right call and it became Motown's fastest selling song to date and reached number one on the Billboard R&B charts, staying there for five weeks and reaching number two on the Billboard Hot 100. A very ballsy move that paid off. So after some pride swallowing, <laughs> Barry Gordy agrees to let Marvin produce his own album and have creative control, but he has to finish it within 30 days. That's that's easy in the 70s. It's They're true. all smoking stuff. He finished it in 10. 10, ten? Bu- 10 business days was the exact wording on a Wikipedia. He took Saturday and Sunday off. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, so roughly 10 days, if okay. you will. Uh, the album what's going on was released in may of that year jeez the album is a juggernaut and a masterpiece on one in fact we did it folks we found the number one album on rolling stone's top 500 greatest albums of all time like i feel like i need an air horn or something i feel like there's different versions of this list well it's 2020 okay so it's most recent because the last one i looked at um dark side of the moon was number one well, that's what I thought too, but this is, yeah, 2020. Good. Someone this finally is, got... Because I don't think they compiled it to the end of the year. I don't know. They update it every so often. I'm glad that they finally took... I'm going to throw shade. I don't like Dark Side of the Moon. It's I, overhyped. I don't, I don't really like Pink Floyd in general. Sure, no. I'll cover them one day. I think Dark Side is overhyped. Yeah. There are many other deserving albums that go should be at the top. So, Like, I, I personally don't subscribe... This is just me personally. I personally don't subscribe to like the Pink Floyd fandom. Just, I just don't get it. it it's <laughs> it's it's okay. Like, but that's just my take. Yeah. If you love Pink Floyd, totally cool. We're good, man. It's just for me, not my vibe. Not my vibe either. Not my vibe, not my tribe. But anyway, so yeah, 2020, this good is the number them. one. Someone got their head out of their ass at yeah. Rolling Stone. <laughs> Why don't you get Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the phone, too, while you're at it? That's Try not going to get gonna their happen. head of the um, But I've always found it interesting that in our research, there's this hero story arc that really remains true. A lot of these artists we cover, they hit success, then they go through a bad lull period, only to rise up stronger than ever. Yeah. And so for this album, it's actually a concept album, which I did not know from the perspective of a Vietnam soldier returning home and just being greeted by like hate and injustice. This also marks a change in Marvin's sound and songs because before this 
most of his music were, you know, love songs. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, run-of-the-mill romantic songs. And he wanted to talk about what was happening around him, which, if you think about it, was still a pretty foreign concept for the 1970s. Like, he talks about disillusionment, drugs, and spirituality. And critics consider this a landmark album and a classic example of 70s soul. The Library of Congress agreed and inducted it into its national registry. Hmm. Um, When it was released, it stayed on the charts for over a year and sold 2 million copies. So that's pretty damn good. Yeah. After this incredible success, Marvin signs a new deal with Motown worth $1 million, which made him the highest earning soul artist and the highest earning black artist at that time, which is really cool. He goes to record the sequel to What's Going On called You're the Man. And after the title track was released as a single, guess who doesn't want to release it? Barry. Former brother-in-law. Barry Gordy. Oh, they got a divorce. Yeah, but they're like separated. I think they're separated. Then they come back. Then they get divorced. And then he marries someone else. I don't don't know. I didn't get too much into that weeds. But he feels like it's going to be too political again. No shit. It's a sequel to what's going on. Didn't it work out for you the first time, Barry? Just (laughs) let him release it. But after some back and forth. And to be fair, you're the man didn't do that great in comparison he like just shelved the project, but it did get released in 2019. Oh, well, on what would have been Marvin Gaye's 80th birthday. Aww. So it did eventually get released. Instead, he records another album called Trouble Man, which I'm not going to get too much into, but it was a soundtrack for a film by the same name. But around 1971 or two, Marvin moves moves out to Los Angeles to join the rest of Motown because they moved their headquarters there. And something really interesting happens. Marvin Gaye starts dealing with his past, specifically his fundamental Christian upbringing and how that combination of extreme abuse stunted him, specifically in the area of sex positivity. I love the face you're making. It is the face (laughs) of someone who understands every single word I just said. (laughs) Yes. To a T. Yes. Um, he often struggled with uh, impotence and was having these like sadomasochistic dreams, which were haunting him. I once, can imagine Once why. again, not his fault necessarily, but yeah. was more of his brain not having ever processed yeah. this. And he didn't like thinking those things. It was just like, the, it was dreams. Yeah. It wasn't him. Um. But around this time, he starts redefining spirituality for him and ultimately trying to heal his internal struggle he's had with sex. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. This is actually a very good story. Yeah. I like this part of my outline. So part of that journey to healing was writing and releasing Let's Get It On. Ah. I have to say, before reading about this, I had no clue Let's Get It On was from such a deep spiritual place. Yeah, I didn't either. Like, that's really awesome. Like, I just kind of assumed, like, around that time, music was starting to get more... Yeah, it's the 70s. Explicit. Like, experimenting with being more explicit. Aerosmith's writing about their big 7-inch. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> so, like, I just kind of, like, assumed, like, that's what it was from, like, for record sales. But it wasn't. It was actually trying to process things, which is really that's cool. cool. It is really cool. And the album is a mix of, once again, sexual, spiritual, romantic themes, all blended perfectly in this smooth funk and soul sound. Biographer David Ritz further explained the content of the album, quote, If the most profound soul songs are prayers in secular dress, Marvin's prayer is to reconcile the ecstasy of his early religious epiphany with a sexual epiphany. The hope for such a reconciliation, the search for sexual healing, is what drives his art. The paradox is this. The sexiest of Marvin Gaye's work is also his most spiritual. That's the paradox of Marvin himself. In his struggle to wed body and soul, in his exploration of sexual passion, he expresses the most human of hungers, the hunger for God. In those songs of loss and lament, the sense of separation is heartbreaking. On one level, the separation is between man and woman. On a deeper level, it's the separation between man and God. 
Like that's really freaking it's deep. <laughs> that's deep. Like, I mean, I had no doubt it wouldn't be deep. He's a pretty deep person, but like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. No one was really doing that. No. In music. Not, at that not yet. No. That level of like consciousness. I know this sounds very new agey. That hadn't arrived yet. Like people weren't talking about that. But the song was incredibly successful and of course controversial. Of course. Uh, <laughs> his song off the album, You Sure Love to Ball, which was Ball with 70 slang for sex. Um, so you sure love to sex. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Ah, just another day uh, only <laughs> reached moderate success because some radios just refused to play it because i knew that work. was gonna be the sentence out of your mouth they did play it on the radio they didn't play it well they did and then some radio djs you know all grumpy like no um where do they pop um anyway so despite that the album killed it on the charts staying on the billboard 100 for like 61 weeks it surpassed um it surpassed what's going on as his best-selling album critically people love it and hail it as one of the most like sexually charged albums of all time i'm gonna fast forward quite a bit here to 1981 just to give you some bullet points of what's happening because we are doing a pretty big jump he releases a duet album with Diana Ross. Anna and him do officially file for a divorce. He releases a disco-influenced album. And then Motown releases another album that wasn't finished without Marvin's consent. And he once again refuses to release any more music with them. So now it's 1981. And while his music's doing okay, like it's once again kind of like a lull, but it's not doing terrible. Um, he's just not personally doing well he's just got a really bad cocaine addiction and his former uh, i'm sorry his music promoter friends suggest he move out to belgium which he also has back tax issues like there it is <laughs> yeah he moved to belgium he's also moved to london and i'm sure that played a role in there somehow but anyway um while he was there he was able to take a break from heavy drug use and this is like one of the best things that happened for him and there he plans also to do a music comeback. But he's not doing it with Motown. He's sticking his feet in the ground. He's drawn a line in the sand. Fuck you, Barry. Yeah. Instead, he's doing it with CBS Records, who works out a deal with Motown. And he releases Midnight Love the following year with the quintessential song, Sexual Healing. Mm. The song was considered the most sexual song since Olivia Newton-John's Physical imagine what these people would think <laughs> if they heard WAP on the radio dude oh <laughs> man could you imagine they're rolling in their graves <laughs> <laughs> this song also won him his first two grammys which took a long that, ass time that took a long ass time you think he would have gotten it for what's going on but no once again grammys needs a little shake up because i think it's too political but anyway moving on uh, we should just abolish all award shows and start over i agree the oscars the grammys i think i think all award shows like all mainstream award shows realize they're in deep shit i think mainstream media realizes they're in deep shit because they one yes the market is more saturated so there's that Number two, we have Gen Z that's not taking people's shit. They don't take any shit. Millennials don't take people's shit, but we're too busy drinking our sorrows away. Yeah. But we're there. We're all depressed. It's we're fine. there. We're depressed and in therapy, but boy, oh boy, are we there. We're just uh, talking about to our therapist where Gen Z is like burning down the building. Correct. That's a good way. of. That's a great way of putting yeah. it. So in general, I think like mainstream media is in trouble. And I'm very interested to see how they're going to like change the narrative about themselves in the next like 10 years, the 2020s. Cause like, I don't foresee it being like it was at all. No, I like, think at all. those kinds of awards need to be voted on by normal people and not just a small Agreed. group of the Hollywood elite, but exactly. I'm just describing the kids choice awards. So, well, as Bo Burnham said in his last special, that is how the world works. <laughs> Very good special. 
10 out of 10 recommend. I need to watch it. It's going to be a musical on Broadway next year. You can mark those words. I've been too busy writing shit for this podcast. It's understandable. So yeah, give me a couple weeks to dig myself out of my hole. Fair enough. And we'll be good. In 1983, he goes on tour and moves back to Los Angeles. Now, there are some new people who are also in Los Angeles. His parents. Gay, um, he moved them out and bought them a house, but I think he bought them the house in D.C. But they're there for this part of the story, all intents and purposes. Um, but the relationship between him and his father, it's not quite patched up. His dad is still, for all intents and purposes, an abusive piece of shit. That's fair. Mom. And up to this point in 1984, the couple has even shared the same bed in over 10 years. Marvid would actually go to sleep in the same bed as his mom when he was there, which I just think is really sweet. Like I always felt like Marvin was protecting yeah. his mom because they had such a special connection. So on April 1, 1984, a day before Marvin's 45th birthday, Marvin Gay Sr. gets into like an argument with Alberta because he's blaming her for misplacing these insurance papers Marvin interjects and the two of them get into this fight like this fist fight and Marvin goes back to his room and his dad grabs a pistol from under his pillow which Marvin gave to him that Christmas and goes into his room and shoots him what yeah I had no clue that happened yeah the fuck and the first shot was fatal oh my gosh so he was pronounced dead at the hospital and this also like it's just crazy because like we always hear abuse cases going bad i'm like holy shit i did not expect this to be the story arc of no this story. me neither i knew he he was dead but i didn't yeah. know that was how he died yeah no it's shitty he says like when the police came because after he shot him he like sat on the front porch waiting for the police to come because he knew he knew he was in deep shit he knew he was in deep shit and the police were like you know what happened he's like oh it's just self-defense and that's bullshit he has an anger issue yeah unchecked anger issue how many domestic reports are filed against him yeah and they asked him if he loved his son and he replies let's say i didn't dislike him the fuck yeah yeah i mean when he was on trial he would go to like regret it and said if he could be here today i'd have him back but like dude fuck him yeah um, also, we we should probably put the national abuse hotline at the end of this episode. Yeah, good point. <laughs> we'll we'll plug that in. I'll get it looked up. Just remind me. Um, but he was put on trial and only got probation for it, which is dumb. He only got probation I for think he murdering was like somebody. Seventy-two. I don't care. But still, no, I agree with you. But I think that's why the court cited that because he's like, well, he's not gonna. Yeah, he's gonna I don't no. care. Let him die in jail. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Um. Alberta did leave him good which is good and um anyway so like m moving on to his legacy like Marvin Gaye was just such an important icon he experienced so much growth as an artist throughout his decades of music more so than any artist I think we've covered and as far as for legacy he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987 as well as the NAACP Hall of Fame his mother opened a foundation in his name to help those suffering from drugs and alcohol, but she died right before it was opened. Aww. In 1990, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And recently, it was announced that there would be a movie produced by Dr. Dre, which would be coming out about his life in 2023. Um, one last awesome thing I want to highlight is the team behind Marvin Gaye's like, official YouTube channel have these absolutely beautiful animated music videos of his music. And I highly recommend checking them out. Like they're just, I mean, also just listen to Marvin Gaye. His music is like, I love artists. Like I mentioned who grow mm -hmm. and change. And that's really was his life. He was always, even though, you know, he still wanted to be one thing. He realized the importance of growth mm -hmm. and that made him the better artist for it. So that's all I have. And real quick, I'm going to plug the national. Yeah, that hotline that I. Okay. I'm going to plug the national domestic violence hotline here because this is a pretty intense 
episode as Leah said so if you need to contact the domestic violence hotline you can go to either the hotline.org or call them at 1-800-799-SAFE that's 1-800-799-SAFE but they also have a live chat feature and you can text them by Google clicked me out of it and you can text them by texting the word start to 88788 it's nice they have a texting feature. Yeah, it's that is good. 2021. And it's free, confidential, and it's 24-7. Please, please get help if you are in that situation. Yes. What are we drinking? We are drinking my signature cocktail. It is called the Betham Berry Delight. It contains a mashed up mixture of blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries with a mixture of honey lemon and mint from my garden and has a couple ice cubes trying to make it sound sexy but i'm kind of fucking it up anyway (laughs) um it's got some ice cubes and got some strawberry vodka and then some uh strawberry lemonade mixed in it's very good and you don't need anything fancy because beth ann squished the berries with a whisk yes (laughs) yes you don't need one of those fancy muddly things no just mash them down with a whisk. Uh, anyway. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you review podcasts. There are several other platforms out there as well. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our sparkly, shiny new website, shiorocky.com. There you'll find links to our socials, the show notes, you can contact us, and you can buy our beautiful merchandise that we designed ourselves. Damn right we did. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.